Hold on, Andrew is getting a telephone call. How embarrassing. Sorry. <laughs> everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm todd mack and i'm joseph drowski tonight we're joined by special returning guest todd peterson great to be here and i guess Hello. we could say undefeated champion of drafts and oh no now you've messed up my mojo <laughs> <laughs> deliberately so anything we can do uh this is it's rigged rigged we are also going to have producer Andrew on uh, this week because of the premise of this particular episode. So, producer Andrew, let them hear your voice. Yes, I'll be I'll be returning to my role as the executive of the protagonist podcast television network. Ah, the prota- protagonist television network. We've gone we've gone to other media. Uh, the premise of this week's episode is a little different than last year's Halloween. Last year's Halloween episode, episode number forty four in our feed, was the Mount Rushmores of fear, where we each named the four scariest images that we would put onto a mountain if we were trying to build a monument to fear. Uh, this year, the protagonist television network is looking to kind of treat Halloween the way the Hallmark Channel, or, or treat October the way the Hallmark Channel treats Christmas. And just all month long, they're going Halloween specials. It's there the are, ABC family version yes, there are of mini, Halloween. Miniseries or movies are going to be happening all the time. And they are going to be looking for a comedic kind of series that they, or mini series or movie that could air in October. So think like the Adams family or the monsters. So still monster themed, uh, but, but comedic, they're looking for something action adventure. So think like the, uh, Brendan Fraser mummy movies. That, I love those movies. That those, kind of tone. Those are pretty good. They're going to be looking for something that is absurd. They're looking to, for their own Sharknado. So something that's just, someone said something stupid and a movie got made out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then they want something that's genuinely creepy. We're going as creepy as possible, a real Halloween horror uh, miniseries or movie. And then for the fifth option, it's a wild card. We could present anything we wanted to the executives of the network, and they might pick it up. We could go any genre. We, re- we could revisit something. You don't. Uh, you don't have an example for the ultra creepy. Uh, what, what's the creepiest movie you guys can think of? <laughs> I think Todd Peterson's probably seen the creepiest <laughs> movies of all of us. <laughs> It's The Exorcist, but it's because I went to Catholic school and they played it to us as a documentary. <laughs> Once again, listeners, you might want to go revisit episode number 44 of the Protagonist Podcast when we built our Mount Rushmore's of Fear. Uh, but the Protagonist Television Network has also requested that as we were making these pitches, we consider five different creatures uh, of supernatural or urban legend lore. Uh, they want us to think about using a Bigfoot or a Yeti kind of creature in one of our pitches. They want us to use La Llorona. Todd, do you want to give a quick encapsulation of La Llorona? La Llorona is a legend from Mexico of a woman who killed her own children, and now she pines away and steals other people's children because she feels bad because she killed her own. Right, so she killed her own children and then also killed herself, but when she got to the gates of heaven, she was asked, where are your children? And so now she comes back to Earth looking for children to take and claim as her own. Uh, I think in English, that's often just uh, a woman in white yes. is the default one. Uh huh. Yeah, there are there are urban legends of this that are certainly well outside of Mexico at this point. Uh, but the the first version I heard of was La Llorona. Um, we're also going to be looking at the Jersey Devil. And Andrew, this is one of your favorites. You want to explain the I Jersey love, Devil? <laughs> I love the Jersey Devil. It is almost inexplicable, though. It has like. It, I think it walks on two feet, but yes. they're hoofed feet. Uh-huh. Cloven hooves, like a, yes. like the devil. It has it has wings, bat like wings, wings. Yeah. like a dragon. It has, it has like a like a horse head. Yep, you got it. Uh, and I don't know much about its torso and arms, <laughs> but they're there. I, I don't know but, that anybody yeah. does, except it's, Joseph Bonaparte, because he saw him. It's one of the oldest American uh, legends, cryptozoological figures. Yes, so cryptozoology is the the fantastic creatures, the supernatural creatures. But it, it predates America, I believe, is the first sightings is is pre-colonial, or well, I guess well, colonial yes, America in, in the New Jersey area. 1735. All right. And then uh, the last one that they want us to talk about is the Chupacabra, which the Chupacabra is a very interesting one because this is a very recent cryptozoological uh, discovery, creation, <laughs> however you want to term this. <laughs> It, it, there are no references it, uh, to it until the 1990s, 
but there are people who were born before the 1990s who now remember hearing stories of this when they were kids, but there's no like recorded references to it until the 1990s. Um, there was a very interesting article I read about this. I want to say on discovery. Um, but the chupacabra that in Spanish means goat sucker <laughs> is a creature <laughs> that, uh, supposedly drains the blood from goats and it looks kind of, uh, lizard like. And, well, there's all sorts of versions of it that I've heard. Uh, when I was living in Mexico, I heard many different descriptions of what a chupacabra looks like from people who had reportedly seen them. Uh, so I spent some time today doing research into chupacabra, and apparently one of the very first uh, eyewitness eyewitnesses, a guy wrote a whole book about the chupacabra in 2011, and uh, one of the one of the best eyewitnesses that he saw uh, that he interviewed said that they saw the chupacabra. And it looked just like Sill from the movie Species. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the movie Species, you should go watch the trailer. <laughs> it's the story of uh, aliens send instructions to Earth of how to genetically uh, produce an alien. And so they do. And it looks like a little girl. And then when they try to kill the little girl, then she mutates into a horrible monster uh, whose sole goal is to mate with human men. And turn uh, and make little alien babies, and uh, so so the chupacabra looks just like a big alien, essentially, with uh, spikes down its back. And uh, anyway, that's what it looks like. I, I think the most consistent chupacabra feature is that it has like a hollow tongue, yeah, to drain the blood from the goats. Because <laughs> <laughs> it again, it means goat sucker, <laughs> chupacabra. <laughs> no, Joseph, uh, you said there were there were five. You've only listed four. I think you skipped one. Oh, did I skip uh, Loch, Ness, Loch Monster. Ness Monster? Nessie, right, number four. The, the classic. I think we are all familiar with the Loch Ness. No Monster. explanation necessary. Yeah. And now, uh, does that branch to all like like lake monsters, or specifically uh, must it be set in in the Loch? I I was using Nessie in mind. I don't know what the. Uh, uh, the it's uh, Nessie, as far as as far as I know. Todd Peterson. I, I kept okay? it pure. Okay, okay. So, so no one went for Champ, the like Champlain monster or anything nope, like nope, that. Nope, no, 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 no. Maybe next year. <laughs> uh, so, uh, again, uh, these five genres, we could choose any one of these creatures to line up with these five genres. So we're going to... the the So the executive from the protagonist television network will ask for our comedic Halloween-themed pitch. And uh, the three of us could have chosen to use... Bigfoot or La Llorona or Jersey Devil or Loch Ness Monster or Chupacabra. So we might be doing different creatures, but we're all making our comedic pitch at the same time. And then the executive will choose one comedic pitch. And then he will choose one action-adventure pitch and one creepy pitch and so on and so on. Now, this is, of course, in addition to the uh, repeated airings of the ongoing Halloween specials of Akira the Wandering Zombie that we'll have every yes. year. <laughs> Does that mean I automatically get a point like going into this? Uh, listeners, if you're unfamiliar, Akira the Wandering Zombie comes from an earlier episode where we did elevator pitches. Uh, we will have the number episode in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to that. If this one sounds fun to you, you might want to go back to our first elevator pitch episode. We call these elevator pitches because uh, in the industry there is rumors that uh, you can meet an executive and you have to have in your back pocket, ready to go, your pitch for a TV show that could be made in the length of an elevator ride that so would be interesting enough for the executive to want to see you again. You have to describe it. In the elevator. This might be kind of a long elevator ride. Some of these. <laughs> yeah, some of mine are I guess, definitely the, got a little it's longer. It's the full tower of terror in this case. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long of an elevator. And Let's do this. Yeah. Okay. So, so first up is the comedic. All right, and I think we'll just we'll just rotate through. So, Todd Peterson, do you want to go first on comedic? Todd Mack, you can go second. I'll go third, and then next time, Todd yes. Mack, you go first. All right. So uh, I have this idea uh, for a comedic series. It's called uh, the Jersey Devil. Uh, and back in the 90s, the Jersey Devil used to star in a popular television legal drama called The Jersey Devil's Advocate, <laughs> where he was an attorney representing monsters who had been framed for crimes they didn't commit. Since then, the Jersey Devil uh, has been washed up living on the royalties of his show, wondering if life has any meaning at all beyond the hustle of show business. So this is a, a world of monsters. A world of monsters. Okay. Uh, after the Jersey Devil girlfriend leaves him, he decides that it's time for him to have a second act. So he moves to L.A. and begins a total reinvention of himself as the star of a situation comedy called The Jersey Devil. Wow. So it's, it's cyclical. <laughs> it's cyclical. I like The Jersey Devil's Advocate. So we're getting uh, uh, like uh, some uh, commentary happening about the entertainment industry. 
That's You've right. Got, uh, midlife crisis, second stage of life <laughs> happening. Yeah, and, and you know that the movement from East Coast to West Coast. I'm thinking like Patton Oswalt for the journey. The the Devils, <laughs> Jersey Devil. His like his best buddy could be John Bon Jovi for the New Jersey <laughs> side of thing. Oh. Um, and then when he moves to L.A., I'm, you know, like Ted Danson maybe is his next door neighbor. Ted Danson. <laughs> he's tra- Ted Danson keeps trying to get a, a spot on the new show. He's like, oh, I'm free. Man. I'm free. I can that's actually right. get a spot. That, that's right. And uh, and uh, so so it's 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 a little bit about the fish out of water stuff and. You know what's what's it like for a Jersey Devil to be out in L.A. Uh, and all that other kind of stuff. All right, all right, okay. Uh, so Todd, Todd Mack, what's uh, what's your comedic pitch? <laughs> this is this is strangely similar, as you will. Ten-year-old <laughs> Juan and eight-year-old Paco are brothers and best friends. They enjoy reading American comic books, watching American TV, and playing soccer in the fields around their small Mexican farmhouse. One day, while kicking the ball Wait, around... Wait, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be football? Football. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I'm... He's, or, he's Americanizing it for... They, I'm Americanizing it for our, like our majority American okay. audience. I'm sorry. They like playing football in the fields around their small Mexican farmhouse. One day, while kicking the ball around, Juan and Paco come across a small, injured creature. It's about their size, but looks like a green alien with large black eyes and spikes down its back. The boys pity the beast, and they hide it in a fort they have built in a stand of trees. They nurse it back to health and name it Conchita. And at, <laughs> over the course of a few years, they even teach her how to communicate using sign language. The hardest part of hiding Conchita is finding enough livestock for her to train, because she is definitely a chupacabra. Convinced that the local villagers will not be tolerant of Conchita and unwilling to condemn their friend to a life of complete isolation, the boys dress her up in regular clothes and take her to the big city, where their uncle Paco is a lucha libre manager. Paco is at first surprised, but soon he agrees to train Conchita for the ring. All it will take is some tights and a mask, and no one will know Conchita's true identity. But all live happily ever after. <laughs> I didn't see where that was going. I, uh... So, uh, Todd Peterson, yours was pitched as a, like a series or as a miniseries or a yeah, film? Yeah. What was uh, it? Miniseries. miniseries. Every October we get like four installments of okay, it. Okay, got it. And, and Todd Mack, yours is a film? I take it. Uh, if that's if that's how you take it, <laughs> how, how did you intend it? As long as you take it. Well, I thought all of these would be. I, was, I thought all of these were miniseries. So okay, I would, you yeah, know, I'm like, fine a, if it's a like a three episode, like a three episode installment. Season. Yeah, where like first episode they find the beast. Um, second episode they train it uh, and you know work with it, and then third episode right. would be taking it into the ring. It's kind of a the lucha a, 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 a series across the week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Mine, I am envisioning as kind of the four episode miniseries, but I hope it would come back every hollow every October. <laughs> All right. It's called Cherry Chew. Cherry Chew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and for this one, I'm going to need some collaboration with the Jim Henson Studios. It's heavy on the Muppets, uh, so a lot of <laughs> lot of puppeteering happening. All right. <clears throat> Cherry is a chupacabra working as an IT specialist for the governing houses of uncommon living souls. <laughs> Ghouls manages the affairs of monster kind, the demons, vampires, zombies, big feet, and so forth. They attempt to ensure a peaceful coexistence for these supernatural beings while working to convince humans that monsters are nothing more than superstitions and myth. Cherry and her coworkers in the IT department, including a know-it-all minotaur named Mozart, a wood nymph named Cobweb, who is obsessed with human culture from the 1980s, and a giant spider named Aragorgog, keep track of reports. <laughs> they, yep. they, they keep track of reports online of humans encountering monsters creatures. So they're watching our internet for anyone talking about encountering <laughs> monsters. Uh, they work together to discredit any accurate reports and make sure that the more laughable versions of monster encounters are seen by more people to, stay, to make everyone think this is all just laughing <laughs> stock material. But as with any workplace, there are office politics, the struggle to maintain a work-life, home-life balance, and a potential office romance between Cherry Choop and a cute phantasm named Stu who works in non-human resources. <laughs> oh, that's the bunny. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have a verdict for round one? Uh, okay. So refresh. We have cherry chup. We have uh, the, the the chupacabra lucha libre. Yes, and and the uh, Jersey, Jersey Devil. Devil. <laughs> Jersey Devil's advocate. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with cherry chup. Insurmountable lead. Wow. <laughs> it's 
it it feels like the easiest to get three episodes and come back to. I feel like Todd Peterson's has to be like an ongoing, <laughs> like always ongoing. Just based on Jersey Devil's Advocate, I want to see the ongoing. I know. It's, <laughs> like it's it's good for an ongoing, bad for a miniseries. <laughs> show within a show. So right. meta. I love it. Uh, next round, we have the action adventure, and I really do like the the first Mummy film with Brendan Fraser. Like, it's a it's a good action adventure movie. It hits all the right notes for me. So, high bar to to meet. All right, so Todd Mack, you're gonna go first on this one. Okay. <clears throat> Mary Bell Keys is a poor graduate student of primatology at Harvard University. She is behind on her rent and has little money for food. One day, upon returning from a particularly tough day of classes, she finds a mysterious Russian man named Alexei Petrov waiting in her apartment. Petrov tells Maribel that the year before, his sister Aliana and three of her friends had died on a hiking trip near Dyatlov's Pass in the Ural Mountains. Petrov doesn't buy the official Russian government's report that the group had died of hypothermia, and he explains to Maribel the eerie similarities between what happened to Elyana and her friends and the victims of the 1959 Dyatlov Pass incident. Now, if you listeners and colleagues do not know about the 1959 Dyatlov Pass incident, it's a real thing, and you should look it up because it is freaky. Anyway. Uh, something, it seems, compelled the hikers to flee their tents in the night with little or no clothes on, in the middle of a snowstorm, and in sub-freezing temperatures. Some of the victims had fractured skulls, others had brain damage but no signs of distress to their skull, and yet another had a missing tongue. The official Soviet report on the Dyatlov incident it concluded that an, quote, unknown compelling force, close quote, had caused the deaths. Now Petrov, convinced his sister was killed by a yeti, offers the incredulous Maribel $1 million to accompany him on an expedition to prove it. In a move only someone who has been a poor, desperate grad student would understand, Maribel tells him, <laughs> just give me a minute to pack my bags. <laughs> there it is. And, okay, so not not much of the content of the action Well, the action adventure is but, they go into the Ural Mountains and they, uh, yeah, and they yeah, have the, adventures the tracking there. the yeti. The, the premise is there. The first half to yeah. quarter of the first Let's act. not criticize Todd, because mine Let's... might be a similar. <laughs> All right. You, you get the setup. It's a little light on the details. Now, uh, one quick question is the retelling of the incident. Uh, is that like a montage? Is that reenacted? Or is that just told? Did you have anything in mind for that? Um, I imagine that it would be... Uh, no, I, I didn't have a, a, a like a flashback or something. I just thought he would just tell her that. But that's... I'm, I'm just, I just, I just want everybody to know that if you go and look Wikipedia up, uh, Dyatlov incident, Dyatlov pass incident, that's a real thing, and that's really what happened to people, and nobody knows yeah. what happened. It Isn't is, there? Is there an episode yes. of Lore podcast about that one? Yeah. Okay, I was gonna guess that's the kind of thing Lore would would hit. If you're looking for a creepy podcast for <laughs> Halloween, you might want to go, but not look up too the creepy. Lore like podcast. it's it's intellectual enough. Uh, the doll one is can... pretty creepy. Oh, okay. <laughs> The ones I've listened to so far are, are you know, it gets pretty straightforward and, and anyway, right. that's my, right. that's my Yeti adventure and I'm sticking to okay. it. Okay. All, All right. right. Mine. Uh, I don't have a title for this one, so maybe we can, if, if we want to, we can circle back and figure out a title together. Uh, <clears throat> you, you might notice I'm borrowing or, or you're doing some homages to some known properties with this. In 1940s America, Raviston Tuscany is an expert American history and folklorist. He is approached by Cora Passion, who has discovered a journal which hints at a Dutch treasure being hidden sometime, somewhere in the New World before it became America. At first, Raviston is skeptical, of course. But after consulting some dusty books in a university library, he sees that Cora Passion might be onto something. Unbeknownst to them, the librarian who helped them was really a Nazi spy. <laughs> Soon, of course. Raviston and Cora find themselves in a race against Nazis who are trying to find the treasure to fund their government's efforts to conquer the entire world. They follow the clues into the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. And discover that the Nazis may be the least of their problems, as both groups are stalked by the Jersey Devil. And that's as far as I got, so I don't want us to criticize Todd's <laughs> kind of, like, set up <laughs> before getting to the action, because mine was set up. Yeah. So, Raviston Tuscany and Cora Passione. Uh, are on an adventure <laughs> with heart passion. Well, her full name is Corazon Passion. <laughs> wow. There's no subtlety there. 
Okay. Right. So there's our, our first Jersey Devil. I'd say yeah, the door no, at this point is wide open for the others whilst through. Uh, well, my problem is I looked up uh, the diet law pass incident, and I'm I'm no. too upset to go on. <laughs> I am too upset to go on. So what? What did they? It is a uh, uh, an. It, what was it called? I, 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 I'm frozen out. An, An unknown, unknown compelling, compelling force. force. That I, you had, but you had <laughs> me at the Nazis were the least of their problems. <laughs> yeah, so anytime that is the least of your problems, you're in a bad spot. <laughs> that's that's uh, at the at the uh, bottom of the hill. Okay, I'm gonna patch uh, action adventure film, one shot, 120 minutes, called Suckers. <laughs> a pair of down-on-their-luck brothers from Ozona, Texas, lose all their goats in a single chupacabra raid, but inadvertently discover during the raid the chupacabra's Achilles heel. Sriracha sauce. <laughs> Sriracha burns their hollow little tongues. And using the sauce, the brothers start a business clearing chupacabras from all over Texas and the boot heel of New Mexico quickly building a respectable empire until the chupacabras band together, stop feeding on ghosts, and start hunting humans. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is, uh, in this case, like, chupacabras are known. They're not just a myth. They're, they're, they're a thing. They're there. Okay, yeah. so ever, everyone knows, like, your herd of goats might get hit by chupacabras. Yeah, I, I think in the opening, everybody's like, chupacabras, come on. And then all of a sudden, they go out and the goats are gone. But, well, no, the bodies are there. There's oh, just yeah, no yeah, blood. Yeah, well, the goats, goats. Go, goats they're, are, they're I should dry. have said goners, right? They're, they're dead. <laughs> the goats are dry. Yeah, and then the guy, they're... Oh, I mean, is there a wizened old guy who, like, walks up, ugh. These dry goats. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the chupacabras, <laughs> and and then they're still around. They they kind of go back into the place. They jump up on the table, get a hold of one of those bottles of sriracha with the chicken on it. Boom! <laughs> Burns it to the ground. All right, this is, this is going to surprise you guys, but I'm just going to say this is not going to be the only appearance of sriracha in our summaries. <laughs> oh, yes, that's our fifth monster, fourth monster, this, sixth uh, monster. It's the secret this, ingredient. It's a it's like an Iron Chef. It's it's like milk in Ernest Scared Stupid. We, have to all, we all have to include <laughs> it sriracha. Solves, now. It solves the problem. Um, okay, this is. I'm oh, thinking, this and this tough. would be great. Casey Affleck, Sean Conn, like from Ocean's Eleven, are the two brothers. Oh. Perfect vehicle for these guys. That all right, man? This one's tough because all of these can go. Unfortunately, Joseph's is is. Too derivative. I'm gonna say the Nazis were just a little too Indiana Jones. I don't know what you're talking about. Ravis um, in Tuscany. That's nothing. So I'm I'm fighting between the two Todds, and I, like I need to see about the Yeti. Like I need it. Oh, oh so man. I'm going with I'm going with Todd Mac. I, I thought, oh, I thought suckers had this one. Wow. I, I like at first I thought suckers had it, but I kept thinking about that pass and the snow and. And people okay. bundled up. And, you know, and, I think, and, and, and like I kept coming back. No, that's the one I want. Like I gotta find out. Story of the past is being uh, like for how that's given in the film. I'm envisioning bald Russian man, fire around a campfire. He's relating the story, uh, and it's a slow push zoom onto his face as the campfire light is flickering, and all we hear is the sounds of the past as he's telling the events of the oh, past. Oh, okay. So, so, so you hear people screaming. Yes, yeah, and, and you hear a tongue being ripped out of someone's yeah, mouth. And, yeah, and, and the bashing <laughs> of a skull. Okay, okay, okay I can't good. even think about that. That's pretty good. I, I'll take yeah, my that's, point. That's... I'm moving on. I don't want to think about the Isla incident ever again. <laughs> okay, so, so we're on to the absurd. Uh, yeah, so this Wednesday, is like Wednesday night in theory, if it, it's were a five day week. Yeah, so this is like Sharknado, where it's just something stupid. The the mega shark oh, versus man. giant octopus, which which I've seen, and eesh, <laughs> the the crocosaurus, the piranaconda. All right, yeah. <laughs> I just love that name. Wait, there was really one called piranaconda. Piranaconda. Oh man. <laughs> I'm pretty I, sure I didn't know that was real. I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's an anaconda's body with a piranha head, but. Because an it anaconda is not trouble enough. It could be the other <laughs> way around. A piranha's body <laughs> with a, a little tiny with, with an anaconda face. 
I, I, I didn't see the movie, but I suspect it's the snake body. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, all right. Uh, so, uh, Joseph, you get the first absurd. Okay. Once again, I didn't come up with a title. I kind of wish I had. Uh, all right. In my uh, Sharknado style one. Chiron Bjorkenbergsky is the world's wealthiest man, the world's greatest inventor, and the world's leading futurist. Chiron Bjorkenbergsky uh, is pushing his scientist, so one of his one of his other scientists, whose name is Viola Harpsichord, to complete her work <laughs> on a secret project <laughs> that is only called the Gritty Maraca. Uh, and he's telling her they have to finish the Gritty Maraca within the next two months. Uh, we find out that she is designing and building the largest rocket ship that has ever been conceived. But the strangest part is Chiron insists that it be almost completely hollow. He claims the fate of not only this world, but this entire plane of existence rides on her efforts. While Viola is engineering the gritty Maraca, uh, Chiron meets with Grimm and Necrotia Coffin, the husband and wife who are the world's <laughs> leading experts on supernatural creatures. He needs their help with two tasks that must be completed within the next two months. First, they need to go capture Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but the second part is secret. <laughs> we follow Chiron on his adventures hunting Nessie with, while we periodically we cut back to Viola building the gritty Maraca. Um, one particularly bad night when they are about to capture Nessie, things go very wrong when we learn that Necrotia is in fact a Frankenstein, but her right hand came from a dead werewolf, and in the full moon she can't control that limb, and it <laughs> ruins their chance of, you, of you, You've been sitting on that when I heard you use that premise. Yeah, uh, but uh, because of that, that night their plans go horribly awry, and they don't capture Nessie that night, and they're now, they only have one more chance. Uh, fortunately, that last chance works. Uh, we get near the final act. Chiron is coming back to the secret base where the gritty maraca is being built with Nessie in tow, and he reveals exactly what is going on. You see, on his payroll, he keeps the world's leading scientists and the world's foremost wizards and witches. They simultaneously identified new energy patterns appearing near the moon, and as the only human who has ever read all of Rasputin's prophecies, he knew exactly what this meant. <laughs> <laughs> the energy... <laughs> Again, Sharknado, I'm just throwing this things in. The energy... elevator ride. <laughs> wait, wait, wait for it. <laughs> Uh, the energy was an interdimensional portal, and a plague of demons would be coming through that would absorb the energy from every star in this universe unless they were stopped. But the only chance Chiron sees for success is for Grimm, who is a vampire, to turn Chiron, Bjorkensbergsky, uh, and Nessie into vampires so that they cannot be killed by any traditional demon attacks. You see, their dimensions lack the requisite wood with which they could fashion stakes. Uh, <laughs> and... So Viola, Grimm, and Necrotia hear this plan but insist on one tweak. And now we cut to the final act where we see the gritty Maraca launch and pass through an energy portal near the moon. As soon as it goes through, swarms of demons attach to the side and begin trying to tear it apart. Then the sides of this rocket explode and reveal an undead Chiron saddled to the back of an undead Nessie with Viola, Grimm, and Necrotia floating <laughs> next to them. All of them, including Nessie, are armed with unfathomable amounts of weapons strapped to their backs, legs, arms, heads, feet, everything. The final <laughs> act is an orchestra of demon death performed by the vampire heroes of Earth. Was was Viola also turned into a vampire? Yes, yeah, okay. she's up there. And uh, like, think uh, if you are a comic book fan, think like 1990s Cable. Yes, <laughs> That's the kind I, of weaponry they're I, carrying. I was gonna say a lot of bandoliers, no yeah. sleeves. Oh yeah, no. Oh, I forgot one part. Chiron uh, uh, Bjorkenbergsky has a robot arm. That, oh, I forgot okay. to add that bit in. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, crucial. <laughs> oh my God. All right, uh, that has all. The <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the goal for absurd when i was told absurd i went absurd Everywhere. all right to todd peterson well i went a different direction because sharknado isn't absurd it's awesome <laughs> so well, i decided to same, stay with my premise i so think i decided to go uh in a way that would really maybe strike audiences as truly absurd a thing that uh they, they might never believe uh so i have uh i'd like to pitch an animated series called Yeti Spaghetti. <laughs> in this series, the Abominable Snowman opens uh, an Italian restaurant in Chicago, Illinois. Hilarity ensues as Yeti struggles to juggle running a fast-paced business while also trying to manage a social life. It seems like it might just all work out when Yeti's stepfather passes away and her mother moves in. What? <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
That's that's the show. That's the right, so 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 far, Todd, you're going up against vampire Loch Ness monster battling demons in space and a yeti, yeti spaghetti <laughs> yeti spaghetti uh, who runs an Italian restaurant. Now let me remind you, her mom moves in with her. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say with with her mom moving in. Yeah. So it's yeah, and I'm thinking right, the the guy no, she is, is that like it. Is that like a Gilmore Girls kind of mother-daughter relationship, or is that a... Well, it could be like Kristen Shaw, Betty White. <laughs> 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 kind of there. <laughs> okay. So, I think I'm enjoying, as much as anything, Todd Peterson's casting of his pitches. It's pretty good. All right, all right. Time with Yeti's best friend. You get time with the guys that Yeti's seeing, and the mom kind of gets in the way. And then, plus, running a restaurant is hard when you're uh, a Yeti. Yeti. Okay, Okay. well, Uh, my... Todd Mac? My pitch bears some striking similarities to Joseph's. (laughs) (laughs) Really? These were created created in complete isolation, I will have you all know. The year is 2021. A giant meteor crashes into the Atlantic Ocean, creating radioactive monsters that begin to attack the Atlantic coasts of Europe and Africa. Humans try everything to defeat these enormous aquatic beasts, but nothing works. They are impenetrable even to nuclear weapons. Then an unknown and unimportant Scottish government analyst named Ian McVitie comes up with a plan so crazy it just might work. He organizes a crack team, including cryptozoologist Zach McDougall, martial artist Isla MacDonald, and animal trainer, Amelia McClary. In the first episode, they track down the mysterious Loch Ness Monster, a holdout from the Jurassic period, who has been in retirement for 60 million years. In the second episode, McClary and McDonald whip the overweight out of shape in desperate need of a shave Nessie into fighting shape. And in episode three of this miniseries, they helicopter Nessie out of Loch Ness and to the ocean, where she proceeds to beat the living daylights out of the radioactive aqua monsters. It's an inspiring comeback story with heart-in-your-throat suspense and edge-of-your-seat action, and perhaps even a bit of romance between Nessie and one of the monsters. <laughs> um, which one of these is the TV network greenlighting? <laughs> I have to think. Okay, think like the asylum. Think like the asylum. Um, I'm going with Crazy Vampire Rocket Nessie. <laughs> It's a vampire Nessie. That I, that has to win, right? We're all aboard with that. Uh, like I feel, I feel bad <laughs> about this decision. Well, don't do it. But then. I wasn't gonna feel good. I wasn't no, gonna feel good it. about don't any of the these judge. three. Don't I'm the sorry. Judge. Well, they're gonna. It's, there goes the whole budget. There goes the whole budget. Green lighting. <laughs> mine was mine was low budget. It was uh, you could do that on a on uh, gum gum and bailing wire. <laughs> What? <laughs> um, oh, the only man. thing that okay, could make so that, just... that show any better is if they tried to make it with only gum and bailing wire. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we still have two uh, options to go. And just so we have a clear standing right now, uh, Joseph has two wins and Todd Mack has one. Todd Peterson is... He still he still can come back and tie it. Yeah, you you can still come back, but all right. So we have the if I, uh, if I can take Utah oh, and okay, okay wait, all the electoral votes. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a timely reference that'll be forgotten in about three months. Not, any, I know it's not evergreen. Um, okay, creepy creepiest possible, which I suspect Todd Peterson might be really really good at. Oh man, I don't know, but. Um, all right, so uh, and and you get the lead on this one. All right, this is a film. Should I just take my headphones off right now? And can you tell me when you're done? <laughs> I, I I don't have that option. So this is uh this is I think uh terror terror not horror. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's simply titled La Llorona. Uh, the matriarch of a notorious Mexican drug cartel whose sons violated an agreement to keep the church's neutral territory by attacking a rival uh, gang uh, boss while he's at mass, is killed in the retaliation attack. 
and she returns as a ghost who haunts her own sons, making them suspicious of each other until crazed. They kill each other off one by one until the whole family is gone. Wow. So it's a variation. Psychological. It's a yeah. variation of it, but uh, using the kind of uh, narcos I like idea that. of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. So she's reclaiming her sons, but literally reclaiming her sons by having them kill Correct. each other. Because you don't, you don't, uh, you don't whack somebody at church. Yeah, that's. I mean, we <laughs> all know that rule, right? Thought that go, went without saying, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you learn that as children. You know, say please, say thank you. Don't whack someone at church. <laughs> <laughs> Wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. That's that's, that's, that's right. what you guys learn, exactly right? right? Or your mother will come back and haunt you until <laughs> make you kill your brothers before they kill you or something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who, who's who's next? That's Todd Mac. Todd Mac. What what do you have? I uh, also have La Llorona. It is 2016, and Juan and Lupita are gathering nopales with their baby daughter, Eloisa, in a remote area of Mexico when they come across the ruins of a ghost town. Intrigued, the two begin picking through the rubble in one of the houses where they find a handwritten book. As they read, we flash back to the year 1610 to the story of Maria, a young widow who falls desperately in love with a man named Alejandro, who wants nothing to do with her. Convinced that Alejandro scorns her because of her two small children, the heartbroken Maria ties them up one night while they're sleeping, takes them to the river, and drowns them in it. When the deranged Maria proudly tells Alejandro of her deed, he is not impressed, and she is tried and hanged for her murderous crime. But that is not the end of the story. Maria's ghost, the journal tells us, still haunts the village, stealing children in the night. And if you listen carefully, you can still hear, hear her wailing on the wind. I, mis hijos, mis hijos, my children. As Juan closes the journal, Eloisa, the baby, begins to cry, and they hear a distinct moan in the night wind. They begin to run. But is it too late? And the final act right. is, uh, is uh, lots of running. Is <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Again, I'm not going to criticize that because my final act is a little, <laughs> a little open ended too. All right, uh, guys, you're not going to believe what I picked for my creepy one. It's, mine is called La Llorona. <laughs> all right, uh, Daniel is a high school student working as a lifeguard at a Dallas city pool over the summer. He hates the attention he gets because of a very noticeable scar that runs across his entire abdomen, but otherwise he enjoys his work. One night after closing, Daniel's friend Steve tells Daniel to go ahead home and he'll lock up. And then we get the shot of the pool at night with like the fog rising up off of it in the foreground. And we see Daniel leave through the gate. Uh, and then we see a hand shoot up out of the water and it's, it's twisted and gnarly looking and it, it's writhing and it's holding a knife. In the morning, Daniel finds out that Steve was killed at the pool that night. While the police are at a loss for what happened, when Daniel watches security footage, he sees a woman rise out of the pool water, uh, but nobody else who's looking at the security footage sees anything. At home that night, Daniel is helping his mom and dad do dishes, and they're talking about Steve dying, and he's, he's scared to tell them what he saw in the video footage. After setting some pans to soak in the water, they all walk out of the kitchen, and we see them, once again, we get the shot of the, the sink uh, in, the, in the foreground, and we see them leave the kitchen, and again, we see a hand shoot out of the water in the sink. Uh, Daniel looks back into the kitchen and sees a ghastly dead woman climbing out of the sink and staring at him. He screams and his parents come running, but they don't see anything. But then they do start to see splashes of water coming out of the sink and moving towards them. Uh, they all run into the house, get into the car, and drive away. As a panicked Daniel tells them what he saw, his parents connect what's happening with the, with the legend they know of La Llorona. We find out that Daniel was adopted, and nobody knows anything about his birth family because he, as an infant, was found cut and bleeding in a river and no parents ever reported a missing child. It was an unsolved mystery. Uh, Daniel, they think must be the child of La Llorona and she is coming trying to reclaim him. And she seems to be able to rise out of any body of water. And just as they make this conclusion, heavy raindrops begin to hit the windshield. That's terrible. So <laughs> I mean, like, like <laughs> scary. Yeah. You're, you're hitting the, the jaws element. Well, okay. Of it's so scared of water. Just when you thought it was safe to go to the bathroom. <laughs> or, use, or like, what? <laughs> I had 
not that bad. No, and the, like well, washing the dishes. Well, quite literally, what I wanted was the jaws where like these floating buoys become terrifying, not the shark, but like the mm-hmm. floating buoys. I wanted water to become terrifying, and so like in the final act, they, you know, they get out of the rain and everything, but you start to hear like drips of water, like you start to see there's liquid everywhere, that kind of thing. Right, right. There, there's just puddles. Yeah, the idea of water becomes terrifying in and of itself. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> um. All right, three La Llorona's. Which is the best La Llorona? Which is the creepiest? The most legitimately scary is Joseph's, to me. You can follow that instinct, Andrew. I allow it. (laughs) Yeah, it's Joseph for this one. Joseph's winning. It's been a very long time since Joseph won anything, so... It's okay. I had I, I won the yeah. first one of these, and I haven't won any since. <laughs> I feel so good. Though I really liked, I really liked Todd Peterson's twist on La Llorona that they were killing each too. other in her reclaim. Yes, like yeah. that was really interesting, but I wasn't as scared by it. And and this one, like, I just washed the dishes tonight. Like, <laughs> mm, also, no, thank you. I love Todd Peterson's comment because I hadn't thought of this, but absolutely, the toilet is going to come into play in this. <laughs> That's the worst, man. <laughs> do, do, do you that's, need a few extra murders the one in there? Sheet. <laughs> well, okay, wait, wait. So is is it just the image of a hand <laughs> of a knife coming up out of the toilet? Up from out the, of the toilet? toilet? Yeah, you will never go sit on the toilet again. <laughs> it's worse than being afraid of a snake coming out or a spider, which is a yeah. fear that I've had. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we've got, we've got our wild card, so... This could be anything at all, and I think, Todd Mack, are you up first for the wild card? Uh, I think I am. Okay. The thing about mythical creatures is that nobody understands their loneliness. That is why the Jersey Devil (laughs) has decided to make an autobiographical TV miniseries, like a vlog-style TV miniseries, about his solitary life in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Viewers will be riveted they get to know this devil creature. They will cry with him as he recalls his harrowing birth in 1735 when he was viciously scorned by the puritanical townspeople just because he was born with cloven hooves, the head of a horse, and dragon wings. <laughs> just because of that. Their hearts <laughs> what, what puritans can really call themselves puritans for criticizing that? <laughs> Viewers' hearts will ache at his pain at being exercised in 1740 and his frustration at being cut off from the earth for 100 years. They will marvel as he recounts how his, he has taunted famous humans, including Commodore Stephen Decatur, who actually shot the devil with a cannonball to no effect. They will laugh as he tells of his favorite human sightings, including that of Napoleon Bonaparte's brother Joseph in 1820, or how he terrorized a poor woman and her son one cold winter night as he danced on their roof while they cowered in fear above or below. Uh, they will cringe. <laughs> no, below the roof. Darn it. Okay. They will cringe as he tales of his nail-biting year of 1909 when he was spotted hundreds of times and nearly caught. Finally, viewers' hearts will warm as they realize there's nothing to fear from this lovable monster. And it's called Confessions of the Jersey Devil. <laughs> All right. Okay. Strangely those are enough, all, my... those are all actual uh, actual events. Stories. Like like a uh, part of the mythology of the Jersey yes. Devil. You can look at Wikipedia and YouTube <laughs> and find them all. And therefore, these factually happened because they were on Wikipedia and YouTube. <laughs> and YouTube. <laughs> I saw pictures of the footprints in the snow on the roof, so I totally believe it. All right. Uh, mine also deals with uh, time uh, and the passage of time for supernatural creatures. Interestingly enough, with this pick. If you put this into production, the uh, protagonist television network is going to be gaining an annual movie that tells a self-contained story in and of itself, but also builds up a mythology working backwards through time. So, the first movie is set in the present present day, where we meet Big Al, a Bigfoot who wakes up every morning and shaves his entire body. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) How thick does he grow each night? (laughs) Enough that he's really got to shave it. Wow. Uh, He's articulate, though quiet, and he runs a PI firm with Lucy McNair. Does he have to, like, does he have to explain that, like, does does he claim that he has alopecia or something? No, he just shaves before anyone sees him. Does he kind of look like the Geico, the caveman guys? 
but like no, uh, like if he doesn't shave, that's that's where he'd end up. Yes, but okay. because he shaves, he so just... does he shave everything, and so he looks fairly normal. Yeah, he lo- he lo- he looks like uh like if you ran into uh like a really tall like a, a basketball player, like a, someone uh-huh. who's of average height running into a basketball player, they say, "Wow, that's a giant person." This is what you get with. But, he, fully but shaved, he shaves it foot. so that he still has eyebrows and hair. Yeah, he, he tries. And sometimes okay. he messes up. So some mornings he's missing an eyebrow and he tries to cover that up. You know, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but he's been doing this for a very long time, as we're about to find out. All right, Big Al. And he runs a PI firm with Lucy McNair. We get a noir-style voiceover at the start of every scene that hints at a long backstory and connection between Big Al and the history of the city of Portland. In this particular movie, he solves a crime involving a family's stolen uh, Swedish meat- meatball sriracha taco truck, uh, food truck, nice. <laughs> yes, and uh, also the murder of a local podcaster. At first, the two seem unrelated, but they inevitably inter- intersect. But each year, we get a new Big Al movie that is set one decade earlier. So we get to the 1990s. He spends a lot of time playing Tetris as he thinks through <laughs> the crimes that he's solving. When he goes back to the 1970s, he leaves a lot of the hair above his, his lip uh, so that he has the best 1970s mustache of the era. Uh, but each movie, we go back one decade further and we see that he's always working with a member of the McNair family. So we see generations of the McNair so family. the McNairs know? Yes. Um, until we discover that Big Al, Big Al and the McNairs met when Portland was first being settled back in the whatever. I can't remember. I looked it up, but now I can't remember when Portland was first being settled. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, he was a baby Bigfoot that was lost, separated from his clan. And the McNairs brought him in. And he's he's long-lived. He's still going. But mm-hmm. he's he's now lived with multiple generations of the McNair family. Now, do they ever resolve his, his family, his clan? Yeah, he starts in, in the 40s. The 40s, uh, that one deals a lot with the, the his his um, feelings of abandonment with the Bigfoot society that is all of the outskirts okay. of Portland. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to... <laughs> <laughs> this is a long-term commitment. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did you have any casting in mind? Uh, no, I, you know, I had not yet really started to go through whenever, uh, what's, um, what's the British soccer player who always does big bad guys now? Uh, he was juggernaut in the X-Men. Oh yeah, I know. I he know he could be, about. he could be big Al. All right. <laughs> I gotcha. could say Ron Perlman, but. Oh, Ron Perlman. Oh, that works too. That one's really. Yep. Okay. Maybe two on the nose, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, to say I'm, I am McNair clan. And we wouldn't have any part of this. <laughs> um. Okay. So. So we we've got. Well. Well. Maybe we get into the issues of the McNair clan with the. Uh, you know. They, maybe there's yeah. some family tensions there as well. Hey, if, he, if he's going to walk away, the family's going to going to walk away. Close the doors. <laughs> um. Okay. So. So we have the Bigfoot. We have the Jersey Devil. Both dealing with uh, the history of these creatures. Yeah. And uh, and Todd, Todd Peterson, what is your... Yeah, what, what do we got? Well, for Wildcard, uh, I want to go down the Christopher Guest mockumentary road. Yes. And um, have... Uh, this is a film called Drum the Drocket. And uh, with the advent of mobile phones, more and more confirmed encounters of the Loch Ness Monster begin to emerge get themselves on the internet, uh, which starts to really generate a tourist industry uh, in the small villages along uh, Loch Ness. Uh, One such uh, recorded encounter involves the capsizing of a boatload of Nessie tourists. The video shows Nessie playfully flinging tourists through the air and devouring them. Uh, And this is absolutely bone-chilling thing. The the video goes viral, and the villagers of Drum the Drokit Fearing the loss of tourism revenue, um, get together in the, in the, in the, um, meeting and try to work out a way to keep people coming. And so they decide to set up, uh, offering a newly, one of the newly vacant properties in their village to the winner of a YouTube video contest in which the people answer the question, why I'm dying to live in Drum the Drokat. <laughs> And so the movie is the villagers reviewing these videos of the people who want to come live in their town and make a case to get a free ice. Can Daniel Pudi be one of the uh, the people submitting a video? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got to do everything. And I'm thinking music by Mark Knopfler. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, Todd, I love the specificity of your... 
your uh, your your pitches. Yeah. Uh, uh I mean that's I mean what you really get from that is not just one film. You get a series of small films. <laughs> yeah, so you exactly. get tones with each with each YouTube video. And what do the kids love these days more than YouTube? I don't, I, I don't nothing, know. Nothing. nothing, nothing <laughs> the answer to that question is nothing. nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. But you have you have a chance to bring all of Scotland's great actors into this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Nessie on this one. Yeah. Boom. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That was the obvious pick. Yeah, like because it 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 has. So much opportunity inside it. And, and once he said Christopher Guest mockumentary for the wild card, I immediately thought, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so so the winners uh, in total are, we have our, our Nessie mockumentary. We have uh, Joseph's... <laughs> La Llorona won the creepiest. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a given. Jo- Joseph's La Llorona, uh, which, which was Knives in the Water. Yeah. Um, we have the rocket vampire Nessie. <laughs> um, ultra, ultra intense 90s. Style. I cannot wait to see the training. I don't know what to list. describe it. The oh, training, training montage of Nessie. Get down oh, to his fighting weight. When they uh, when the the rocket explodes and they're all revealed, they are all wearing mirrored sunglasses. <laughs> oh, M- mirrored aviator sunglasses. Yes, including Nessie, giant so. bear. Oh god. <laughs> now, what what version of Nessie is this kind of a a sea snake Nessie or is this like like uh, dinosaur, the dinosaur the dinosaur stuff? Okay, so big flat dinosaur with the long neck. Yeah, but now she has rockets strapped all around her. Okay. <laughs> and a saddle. Yes, and a saddle. <laughs> um Todd, Todd Mack, you won the uh action the movie. action adventure with the Yeti uh what what's the name of the area? It's called Dyatlov Pass. Yeah, that's that one. <laughs> Which actually ended up veering into Creepiest. <laughs> yeah, like, just... like, <laughs> if you had pitched that one for Creepiest, you might have had it. <laughs> and then <laughs> Cherry Choop <laughs> with Joseph for the Chupacabra. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what... Okay, I'm piecing it back together in my mind. Like, I had it written down, but it's the workplace... Comedy. Yeah, they're in the, the the IT department, and she's got of, the wacky of group of, uh, of co-workers uh, that were named Mozart, uh, Aragorgog, <laughs> Giant Spider, uh, and uh, who was the other one? Uh, cobweb. A wooden named Cobweb. Yeah. Right. So uh, that is the Halloween programming oh. this year for the Protagonist Podcast Network. Listeners, if there are any of those that you particularly would want to actually see produced, just let us know on our Facebook page. That is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Uh, we love the discussions that happen there. And so we would definitely appreciate any feedback on uh, these pitches and also any improvements on these pitches. These were elevator <laughs> pitches. They, 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 they could still be workshopped. Yes, there's still a writer's room to be had for these. And also a reminder, once we get to 100 reviews on iTunes, we start releasing the spin-off podcast episode by episode of Grand Hotel. So, right. We, we've bumped up a few, but yes, we're not, I, we're I not saw to 100 yet. Uh, I read a really nice review that someone wrote out, several paragraphs. It was very pleasant to read, so thank you for that. Uh, just a few more dozen of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We've got a few minutes uh, before we need to wrap up this recording. Do we want to workshop any of these uh, particular pitches that we've had? Some of them need titles still. We could talk about casting. Anything you guys want to pitch for any of the winners? I think um, Joseph's is absolutely mortifying. That image is up there with like, are you talking about you know, La Llorona one? The, the La Llorona one that w- with the, um, you know, the, the girl crawling out of the well from the ring. That's what I thought of. Or um, it, it, it has an iconographic image, which is amazing. And he says, because the, you know, with um, all of this um, kind of torture porn stuff that's going in place, you know, human centipede or whatever, the, the images of horror are really about, you know, really pornographic in their structure. How can you do the most amount of transgressive stuff? And it's not psychologically frightening. Like last night, just to get in the mood, I read The Fall of the House of Usher. If you think about those classic tales in which they are so horrifying, 
because of the way that they withdraw, right? They don't, they don't overpresent the horror. It, they let it go down in your head. That's what was really chilling. So, I mean, I liked my pitch, but Joseph's really scared the <laughs> crap out of me. I agree. <laughs> but, and the way I would hope this would end up getting filmed is that basically you see the hand come up out of the water, but most of the time you're seeing points of view from other people who are not seeing La Llorona mm-hmm. coming. Uh, and so it's, it's mostly the hand with the knife shooting out of water. Uh, maybe like one or two images of where, like I said, on the security footage and, and crawling out of the sink, you see a woman briefly, but then you get cut to the parent's point of view and you no longer see her. And the horror is really the water and the, the dripping water and the bodies of water that you see. And the yeah. transaction that you suggested, which is once people know the equation, water becomes frightening. And so you get people ramping up their own tension by just going, where is the water? I have to start watching for the water. Mm-hmm. I have to I have to be on guard for that. And so whatever plot unfolds, people, you know, any context that could suggest water, people are like, no, don't. Like, like the no, bathroom. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it, you know, things that of, are simple or nice. People uh, feeding the ducks. All of a sudden, that's like, no, don't, don't, don't. Yeah. It, that's the genius of that one. It sort of reminds me, I've never seen this film, but I've, I've heard people talk about a film. I think it's called Sunlight, um, which is a horror film set on a spaceship headed towards the sun. And I've what they do, it's great. Yeah. So they, they, instead of shadows being where everything's hidden, everything's hidden in the brightest light. Mm-hmm. So there's all this bright light coming in and that's where they can't see what's going on. And so someone starts attacking inside the ship and they're hidden by the light instead of the darkness. Oh. It's sunshine uh, by, uh, Danny oh, Boyle. Sunshine. Yeah. And the screenplay is by, um, ex machina's, uh, director, Alex Garland. But yeah, I've heard about that one a few times, and I think it sounds really interesting. It has some problems. It has the second half of the second act is a little bit slow, but it is really amazing, and it's it's psychological science fiction like I like the best, like two thousand and one, mm-hmm. um, and Tarkovsky and stuff like that. It has that whole line in it. It's great. I don't know what it was, but something about you mentioning the sun was it called sunlight. Sunshine. Sunshine. It made me think of my, one of my other favorite horror pitches, uh, which was um, humans have colonized the moon and somehow a werewolf gets up there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great idea. I know that's... Uh, that's I, was it a comic book? Mar- it, it's in some Marvel comics. It's in, uh, in Earth X. On the oh, moon okay. is uh, Werewolf by Night. Okay. I've just and, heard that. And that he's comment. living on the moon. <laughs> and once I heard the pitch, I'm like, okay, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> natural extension it's so weird uh, i don't we don't watch very much around my house at halloween because we uh, apparently i am raising a whole brood of cosplayers <laughs> um and so what i broke away from tonight is they're down and dirty finishing the last vestiges of their costumes so my two boys are going as wirt and greg from over the garden wall Oh, so good. Um, and they, and, and they, this is a big deal for them. It's huge. And my, my middle son is like, I'm embarrassed for all the people who don't make their own costumes. Um, (laughs) You know, so, so we actually don't kind of go in for, for the scary movie time because the costume part of Halloween is such a big part of our family. My daughter is going to be, um, uh, Felicia Fox, uh, Mrs. Fox from the fantastic (laughs) Mr. Fox. And uh, I have been forbidden to tell what my costume is, but it's the bomb. <laughs> it's um, this will be released on Halloween. So could you tell our listeners? Oh, this will be released on Halloween. I am going as Aquaman <laughs> with that oh, shirt on, <laughs> and and you will be able to see uh, people go. Uh, Wait, check all right, which which Aquaman? Like the uh, the orange shirted Aquaman or the clawed hand with no shirt Aquaman? Uh, real Aquaman, the one, the the terrible, terrible orange shirted one. Okay, classic black jockey shorts. Uh, that <laughs> that whole thing. Um, All right. So yeah, I'll I'll tweet out when we do twitters and stuff. I will tweet out and I'll have pictures of that on Instagram. Excellent. As far as creepy things that we do for Hollywood, well, so my kid, I mean, my oldest is seven, so we don't really do much creepy, except she has gotten really into Edgar Allan Poe, and she wants me to read her Poe bedtime stories. No! And she's in the uh, second grade, and, uh, like, when they Master get read, the Red Death, I, man. I love Poe, but, like, not for bedtime stories. Try try reading her something from H.P. Lovecraft. See, <laughs> see if she still enjoys the bedtime stories. But, but in second grade, during reading time, she's been taking the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> <laughs> reading that. 
Oh. She's like very slowly working through because she's only in second grade, but she yeah. she like tells me how far she's gotten. She's, she's like, I'm reading the cask of um amontillado and that one's really tough to pronounce so yeah we we walked through it but i love uh, that so much but my kids love uh the charlie brown great pumpkin they watch that my daughter really likes the garfield halloween which actually gets creepy like the the animated garfield halloween i was not expecting it to get as creepy as it got in certain parts where there's ghosts and stuff but uh that's kind of my family's halloween i always watch over the garden wall that's kind of my go-to it's not too creepy it's really really well done I'll lend it to you, Joseph. I've got it. All right. The pu- that pumpkin episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the first one I saw. Like, I, I was walking by. For our listeners who maybe are completely unfamiliar, what is Over the Garden Wall? Uh, Cartoon Network did, I think it's like 11 episodes that are 11 minutes each, um, miniseries, uh, animated. And it's it's just this little thing that they did, and they decided to do it really, really well, and it's got like Christopher Lloyd and Elijah Wood as voices in it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just amazingly well done. Like I was walking by a room where someone was watching it and I, I stuck my head in and I said, what are you watching? And they're like, Oh, over the garden wall. We're in like the second episode. I'm like, what is it? And they said, you know, like these 11 minute episodes. Oh. And I, I stared at it for like three minutes. And then I sat down and watched the whole rest of the thing for like two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. And it's because delightful. it was just like, the quality was extremely evident instantly. Okay. The music is fantastic. The I think the greatest part of it is don't you agree? The background paintings. They're they're they are amazing. It is like classic thirties Disney in its beauty and intricacy, color, well, tonality. And, and oh they do gosh. and they they are, you know, doing a lot of interesting stuff. There's a sequence where they have someone dancing, but they do it like a rotoscoped you know, like they took someone dancing and then they animated over it. And so it's a little off. Right. And the depth is weird. And it's a little unsettling in just the right way. <laughs> Todd yeah. Mac, do you have anything? Um, this year, we have a whole bunch of health conditions at our house. So we can't, uh, we're not doing trick-or-treating. So we're planning a, a Halloween party uh, at the house for the kids. And uh, my kids aren't really, they don't. I don't know. They don't really get super into stuff. So it's just going to be like a really simple Halloween party. And and then we'll probably watch a movie later, but it won't be anything scary. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a really low-key Halloween for us. My kids aren't reading Poe in the... In, in the <laughs> I was very surprised when she, she like came home and said that she started reading Poe at school. And that she wanted me to read her. Uh, the Telltale Heart was the first one I read her. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but but really, is like you can't see that coming. You're the biggest Poe fan that I know. I do like, enjoy Poe. I, I like Poe too. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine like, you thinking like, I wonder where she got that from. No, but I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it at age seven, and like my wife was kind of like, should we? I'm like, it's good. We're, we're good. <laughs> like, I, I have a Halloween. Stuff. I have a Halloween life hack. Okay. I would love to share as we get down to a close. The worst part of Halloween is when the teenagers come by at like 9.30, trick-or-treating, all, you know, like bored and mumblecore and everything like that. They, they just my, want to finish off the candy. Yeah, my wife and I just hate that. And so what we instituted about two years ago is when the kids are done trick-or-treating, whatever, we just shut our house off and we go to Denny's in costumes. <laughs> That's awesome. We, and and we get decent food in them so that they're not eating all the candy of the world. That's we get tall. to be seen out in public uh, with our costumes and a lot, and because that's a big deal, everybody's seen. And then by the time we're back, they're asleep. <laughs> yeah, everybody's done, and you don't have to deal with those ding dongs. So that's my <laughs> life hack: go get some pancakes at Denny's. That's a really good idea. I like that. Good call. Uh, before we go, and we can take a minute to think, but I wanted everyone to say their favorite that wasn't their own. So no picking your own kind of situation. But what was your favorite pitch that we heard tonight for a Halloween? Uh. Series or mini series or, or film. I love the workplace one. <laughs> the cherry choop. Cherry choop. Cherry choop. And you, and you so want uh, Yeti spaghetti to cross over. I like it so much that I want to. I want Yeti spaghetti. I'll release <laughs> her from her contract. She, and she can go work for you. She she runs the restaurant where they frequently go get. Oh lunch. yeah, that's, she has the break. Uh, yeah. Yes, I love. Yes. There and so, or she does that. Oh wait, wait, wait. Food truck. <laughs> Like always parked outside their their building. 
Well, I, I like the idea that they're they're it could be like a Marvel film. They're their own shows, but you they often cross see over. each other. Uh, not for like major plot points. You just see them there. Mm. You know. Okay. But I love the the idea, the banality of the monster existence and just the regular stuff. And <laughs> I, I, while you were pitching, I started thinking stuff that I would want to see happen. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, my favorite was definitely the uh the the Yeti pass. That was like the most satisfying thing to listen to and think about. I really you're love- messed up if you think it's satisfying to think well, about. Well, okay, that. not not like the attack, but the movie. Yeah. I loved uh, Tom Peterson's twist on La Llorona, uh, where you you kept like the bones of it, uh, and you would recognize that as La Llorona, but it was completely its own thing, uh, and. I, I really quite enjoyed hearing that. I thought Joe's Yorona was uh, totally disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a, it, it's a movie that I'm sure I'm not old enough to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone is old enough to make this and wants to, feel free to get a hold of me. <laughs> we, we can talk. <laughs> Okay, uh, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us, and please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check back with our last year's Halloween episode. It's episode 44, in which we drafted our Mount Rushmore's of fear. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com, and that's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And Todd Peterson, you are at? At Todd Peterson. At Todd Peterson. And thank you so much for joining us, by the way, on this episode. Oh, it's always fun to come hang. Uh, our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And we have really good conversations there with our listeners. And we'd love for any of you uh, new listeners to stop by and say, say hello anytime new or old listeners. Uh, if you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link on our homepage. Or you can go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quickcasts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And you can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon. It costs you nothing more, but we get a kickback from your purchase, and we would remind you to take special advantage of that during the holiday season. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Andrew, you're the only one. Oh, yeah. I'm the only one that has to push the button now. Okay. Um, (laughs) let's, Let's take it away. I think we have worked out enough bugs. We, we've coughed up enough weird black slugs. All right, real quick before oh, we actually start, before we actually start recording, uh, 